Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is, what is it? Today is December the 11th, 2019. This episode 2564 of the Survival Podcast. It's supposed to be interview day. Kind of is. It sort, sort of, of is. is. Yeah, sort of is, but it's not. Um, I, my guest, right, got sick or something and had bad voice or whatever. And, you know, not being a trooper like you and me, Nicole, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Quitter. Punk, punked out, right? So we have to reschedule them for, well, next year now. And uh, I, I went on Facebook. It was like, hey, uh, give me some topics and I'll do a roundtable. And you got on and said, hey, I'll, I'll get on with you. So I've got Nicole with me today, folks. And we're going to talk about a variety of, well, random crap, I guess. Random crap's fun to talk about. Random crap is fun to talk about. We're going to even have a little tie-in back yesterday, but uh, Nicole's here with me for the whole show. She'll be here with... Here's the random crap we're going to talk about today, folks. We're going to talk about pepino melons from yesterday. Uh, just found some cool stuff about them. And then they, people wanted to know my Spiracodamus predictions, and we're going to have Spirico and Sausadamus predictions for 2020. Mm-hmm. Home defense beyond firearms. How to lower your gaff. You know the gaff is, don't you, Nicole? Yes, I do, actually, <laughs> because you spelled it out in the show notes, and I was like, oh, yeah, I've been working on lowering that for many, many years. It's the give-a-F factor, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Then we have some thoughts on the coming tax season and reducing theft by Ira Ramon Sancia, who is the world's largest mobster. Uh, hoarding copper pennies, we're not going to spend much time on that, but it just was like, when I said random crap, okay. <laughs> um, gifts that encourage the preparedness mindset. The biggest failure. I'll comment on that one later. All right. And biggest <laughs> failures in regard to preparedness and some business ideas and upcoming niches. That's something you and I like to talk about. So, yep. We'll dig into all that. Uh, let's pay some bills and uh, take care of sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today, Free State Project. You, you like those folks, huh, Nicole? They're they're pretty cool people. Oh yeah, they're they're great. They've been doing a lot of good work up in New Hampshire. Yep, and you can join them, guys. You can learn more about the Free State Project by going to fsp.org forward slash join. Uh, they are an organization like to be an organization that far away from me geographically that centers on. A geography. I got to really believe in what they're doing. I've supported them for like 10 years now, uh, and I've done so for, for good reason. You guys want to definitely check them out. And remember, I will be at Pork Fest uh, this, this coming June, July, uh, up in the White Mountains. Uh, sponsor of the number two today is knifekits.com. Uh, you know, doing stuff is something that like people in America kind of have stopped doing. Like there's a guy for everything and, and, and building basic skills to me is something we really need to go back to. So one way to do that is like something cool, build a knife and learn basic hand tool use and stuff like that and show yourself that you can actually do these things. Uh, knife kids has been a great sponsor, been with us for a very long time, I guess like eight years or something like that. And uh, we have never had a, a single complaint about knife kits guys. So make sure you definitely check them out. Remember, they do a discount for MSB members. So with that, Nicole, let's talk about the quote of the day. I don't think I gave you the quote of the day when I cut and pasted the uh, show notes and emailed them to you. But it's by Will Rogers. And I think you'll like this one. Be thankful we're not getting all the government we're paying for. 
Ah, yeah, I do like that one. What do you think? I mean, we always <laughs> talk about the government wasting money. You know, Will was pretty, pretty, you know, quick-witted. Um, but boy, that's a different way to think about it. We also talk about them wasting money. Imagine if they didn't. Imagine if they actually made the most use, not necessarily like gave us good stuff, but like all the stuff they do, if they were more efficient in doing what they do, I, I just think that would be a terrible thing. And I've never really thought about it that way before. But that's one of the quotes that came up in uh, the Brainy Quote feed today. And I just like that one a lot. Yeah, I've always wondered what would happen if our legislators actually focused on getting stuff done instead of fighting with each other. Yeah, but, but if the stuff they want to get done <laughs> right. is, is not good, right? That's right. Maybe they should fight with each other more. Right. I, I, I think we should bring back the duel. I really do. I think that like either people would be a lot more polite or there'd be less of them, and either one works for me. And then they'd become more polite. Yeah, well, eventually, like when enough people got you know, capped... You know, then, then yeah, they would be a lot nicer. But they could even do it with, like, uh, remember the sticks we had at the workshop? Yeah. Right? Wouldn't it be great to see, like, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, Jim Jordan and Jerry Nadler going at it with foam and screaming sticks? I think it'd be fun. I mean, it would just give us one more thing to watch and comment about. It would. It would actually be more entertaining than most of what they're doing, too. But I, I'm with Will. Um, not getting all the government I've been paying for, I, I, I now appreciate that in a way that I never have before. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you caught yesterday's show, but um, somebody just emailed me and said they think that I broke the Baker Creek site. Uh, I talked about 30 plants um, <laughs> that, that you could grow in 2020. And they said while they were loading their cart, they got like six 503 errors trying to load their cart and check out. So what? Uh, apparently maybe 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 Jerry Gettle will get with me now and talk to me about a discount. I've been trying to do that with him for years, but... I decided one of the plants to include yesterday was something called pepino melon. Have you ever heard of pepino melon? I have not. It is pretty cool. They're like anything from the size of like a chicken egg to a duck egg. They're little fruits. Not a lot of seeds in them. They're not super sweet, but that's good if you want to keep your sugars down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I was going to grow some, and I, I talked about them yesterday, and then I was like, maybe I should know more about these things. I was on the YouTube checking it out, and they're really popular in, like, Australia New Zealand in the subtropics where they're, like, Zone 9, which neither of us are. Turns out they're perennial. They just keep growing, like, and then you can propagate them from cuttings. So I'm thinking if you grow these things in your garden, you just go out right before your first, you know, when you're heading for your frost, take some cuttings, put them in a pot, bring the cuttings inside, put them out next year, and you're off to a yeah. great start. I mean, so you could even container grow them until they're ready to go back in the ground. Because you're like me, right? Like, yeah, we're not like Pennsylvania or something. Like, it's going to start, you know, go below freezing a couple times, come back up. But then, like, you know, January something, it'll go below freezing, and it just stays there until, like, March. Right? You have the in and out, so you put the plant outside, bring the plant inside type of thing. Yeah. And so I'm Bobby. definitely going to be growing some pepino melons. But I I was shocked to see something that looks like such so much like an annual type of fruit actually be a tropical perennial. That's really cool. I mean, you gave me the idea of overwintering some things that would usually die here, like the Malabar spinach and yeah. water, the Thai water spinach. So I've got those going in my kitchen window now. Awesome. And I've been going from seed on those every year, and it takes them forever. Do you know that you can do the same thing with peppers? I do. I'm really good at killing them in my house, though. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I learned last year is, like, you can totally, like, dig up a pepper, prune it, 
and like throw it in a garage. And like all yeah. the leaves will fall off it, like it's gone. And you don't have to do anything. It's like, you just leave it in a garage or whatever. And like half, I did like that with like eight of them. And it wasn't mm -hmm. intentional that I did it that way. I was supposed to take care of them and I didn't. Four mm -hmm. of them, four of them lived. So I think even with like a little bit of care, like you might be like, it might be easier to just let them kind of go dormant. To not try to keep them going really, really high end. Like, cause they looked like they were all dead. And mm -hmm. I just cut them off. I cut the, the whole top of the plant off. I threw the buckets back in the greenhouse and then I got distracted. And, That never happens, Jack. Right. And then I, you know, I go out there after they've been out there for a couple of weeks and like four of the eight are just growing back from the roots. And they got huge this year because I already had a big giant root system. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna have to do more with that, but this year I got distracted and all the peppers died again in the cold. So I, that's what I did to mine. I was like, it was in the pot, it was outside in the sun, and then it was 16 degrees, and I forgot to bring it in the house. Yeah, they don't live when that happens. No, 16 degrees is not. But they're yeah, they're they're a bush actually. Like in the in a, their native habitat, they grow you know 12 foot tall. And it's like you know, it it just seems like all maybe we should move south, right? Like. All the cool stuff lives forever if you get far enough into the tropics, but then it's really hot all the time. Yeah, and then it's harder to grow the cool weather stuff. Yeah, like all the other stuff that we actually eat, so I, mm -hmm. it's a trade-off. But So let's move into our predictions for 2020. So one of my predictions is I will continue to get distracted and not get everything done. I, I think that'll probably happen to you, too. Uh, that's definitely <laughs> going to happen in 2020 for me. You got anything on a, on a larger note that maybe affects more than you and me? <laughs> oh, I kind of do. I don't think that marijuana is going to get legalized next year. I think it will federally? not. Hmm? You mean federally? Federally, yeah. Mm. I think we will talk about it. It won't get legalized until there's another election cycle. I, I agree, and I think one of the reasons is we were talking about them fighting earlier. It would mm -hmm. be a big – I think nationally it would be a big win for Trump um, if it happened while he was president before the election, specifically with your swing voters, right? Like yeah. you're handing him something because like his loyalists, even though that's probably where the, the, the largest part of the um, objectionists lie to that, you know, the, the people that are opposed to it, like they're going to they're gonna vote for him anyway. So all it would do is give him another segment of people that are like, eh, maybe the orange man's not so bad after all. Um, so, yeah, I don't think they want to give him that win. And I do think he'd sign it. I, I think if they put yeah. that on his desk, he would sign it tomorrow, um, which is another example of not getting things done that should get done because we don't want to get along, I guess, you know. Well, uh, I mean, why would you want to get along? <laughs> <laughs> but my uh, on the political uh, level there i also think that um you're going to see some of the stuff trump's working on not get done until fairly close to the election i believe some of it might even be strategic um yeah. the, the china deal for instance like i i think that deal will get done the closer to the election that happens the better you might even see some stuff like come out of north korea closer to the election it's almost like they hit the pause button on that like i think the little little rocket man wants to make some kind of a deal he really does uh he's got a delicate balance though you know ending up right. with a coup d'etat on him or whatever but i think like if he made that deal like last year 
Right. That doesn't really help his reelection. But if he makes that, like all these things that he's working, like to me, and maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but I do give the guy a business sense credit. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a business sense that the closer to the election these things happen, the better it is for his chances to get reelected. People don't have a very long memory. I mean, I haven't seen any pictures of little kids in cages for, well, I don't know, like six months now. You know, that, right. that, 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 that we, we stay one thing that we get to look at. Um, I think on uh, at the educational side, I think by the end of 2020, that this stuff that I've been talking about with the decline in enrollments in colleges and stuff is going <clears> to <throat> get to the point where they're going to start talking about it like it's a real problem. Yeah. Like they're ignoring it, they're poo-pooing it, but I think like by the end of this next year, we're going to be having like a national crisis and what do we do and stuff like that. I think that's what's coming there. And I think Trump will take popular vote this time. I do too. Which will lead to violent riots. I, I to think avert that it, the second coming of Hitler. Yeah, I think that actually might be something that's a uniquely delicious thing to watch. We have all these states that have decided that you know, the electoral college is just a terrible idea, and it's it's obviously a white racist guy's idea, and we should get rid of it so that states like, you know, Iowa don't matter at all anymore. Um, and they've made this compact where, well, whoever gets the popular vote gets their votes. Mm-hmm. So how do you think, like, you know, people in Connecticut are going to feel when the orange man gets their votes because he wins the popular vote? Then you might really have a right, even though it won't matter. Right, it won't even it won't even have an impact on the election, but like I, I just think it would be a delicious irony to watch. I, my other delicious irony, and I think that we may see that some this year, but it depends on how quick they get this impeachment vote through. It's not going to matter, <laughs> and I really believe that there are a whole crap ton of people who don't understand what impeachment means. They I do not understand right. the Senate and the House bifurcation and I don't really watch the news so I don't know how often they're being told this but most of them probably don't watch much news either Um, and I think that they're going to have a big party when the house votes to impeach and then they're going to be really angry when they find out it doesn't mean what they think it means yeah like really mad (laughs) like really mad like Like yeah we 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 might have some violent rioting over that we we might we might I mean I don't really know that I have a huge amount of predictions for 2020. I think it's going to be a pretty, you know, other than the election, the Aspen Circus mundane year. I guess we could say picks on the Democratic nominee. Where are you at on that? Not paying attention at all. Oh, okay. Frank, I've been spending <laughs> a lot of coffee the last few weeks, and yeah, I have nothing. <laughs> it's 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 really difficult actually at this point. I think you're down to four. Okay. You've got you got Harry Legs Biden. You got uh, uh, Elizabeth, Native American Warren. You got the old commie uh, Bernie that combs his hair with a balloon, and you got Mayor Pete is like your, you know, your your, your uh, dark horse, right? Like that, I, he's probably actually going to win the Iowa caucus, which is going to be like what? And, and like people are not act like like they don't know. Like he's polling really well there, and he's like out of those four when they debate, and I can only watch like five minutes of debate before I want to kill myself, turn mm-hmm, it off. Mm-hmm. But when they when he talks, he's like the only one that sounds like an adult in the room. So he could be your you know your dark horse candidate. But Warren, I, I, I Warren or Warren or Bernie, I guess I. It's hard to even fathom any of those because mm-hmm. 
Biden should have this just on name recognition and, and what have you. But the guy is like just every time you think there's no more stupid to come out, <laughs> there's more stupid. Yeah. Like the thing with the hairy legs, that was just bizarre. And you just got to feel like, okay, he's going to crater himself by the end of this. The fact that he's not put it away yet is not good for him. So then you're left with Dark Horse Pete, Warren, and Bernie. And, you know, Bloomberg just jumped in. He's not making anything happen. I, I, I don't know. I mean, like, here's my big prediction. It doesn't matter unless we have some matter. kind of major left field recession hit us around, you know, October. Um, the Orange Man will kill any of those people. In a real election, mm -hmm. I mean, like a murder, like almost Reagan-esque is, is my prediction for the election. Um, not quite to that level. We're not going to have that kind of a, like, I don't know if you'll ever see a, an electoral college landslide like that ever again in our, in our lifetimes anyway, as divided as the country's become. But like, it, it's going to be a bigger victory. And I'm with you. I think he wins popular vote too, because the economy's good. And whether he yeah. deserves credit or not, that's how that's how voters think. Yeah. And then he will I think he will pass socialized health care. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. That's And then it's going to be a big mess and that's what the Democrats are going to run on in 2024. See, I think I think what they really want, what the Democrats want is they want the more sane sounding and still complete disaster Medicaid for all who want it. But, yes. they're, but they're party loyalists. They want just free shit. They want you know Medicaid for all against your will is what they want. So <laughs> this is why when I look at the field, if I had to pick, if you said, well, give us two, it would be Bernie or Warren because both of them want that. So the only way you get Trump selling, well, the public option is what they called it you know, eight years ago when they destroyed the whole thing. The only way you can get Trump to sell that is to have the Democrat not be selling that. The Democrat has to be, you know, saying they're going to take it away from you, and this is the left-right foot that's the mm -hmm. Giants go in the same direction, right? Because when you hear them talk about a complete takeover of, of health care with Medicaid for all bolted into your taxes, and then somebody says, well, what if you just do that for the people that want to buy into Medicare? It sounds, to the average person, that sounds reasonable. Yeah. So the way you get the unreasonable thing to sound reasonable is you get even more unreasonable. And I think that's the game there. Because I don't, or is it just me or do you feel like the Democrats actually do not want to win the White House? I don't think they do. I see nothing that they're doing that makes it seem like they want to win the White House. They're no. going to talk like they do, but that's their job. It's, I mean, all these people are like basically the Democrats like Mitt Romney. Like, it's just, it's, it's not happening. Yeah. And they know it's not happening. And it's, 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 it's like bizarro land. Well, let's, you got anything else for 2020 or do we want to jump to something? Yeah, that's that. That was my list. Okay. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, home defense beyond the firearm. That was the question somebody asked about there. What are your thoughts on that? Loud dogs. Loud dogs. I, I agree. You know, somebody posted a thing about a year ago. And it was a guy that had busted a window, and he was leaning in the window, and he was reaching from the window over the door to unlock the door so he could get in the door. And the caption was something like, you see this, what do you do? And I looked out at the floor at my at Charlie, and I 
thought <laughs> I don't do I don't do anything. Yeah, I, I dial nine one one and maybe they can put the guy's arm back on him. Like he's he's toast. And I, I I think that like the number one security device, whether you have guns or not, is a dog. I'd rather the dog tear the guy apart than than have to shoot him because the yeah. dog. I mean, you know, sorry, I. Yeah, you shouldn't have came in here. Plus, to me, when it comes to like home invasion scenarios, the criminal relies on you not knowing that they're there and your neighbors mm-hmm. not and no one knowing. So when you got dogs making noise, I don't care if you got a little Pomeranians or what else, uh, Bashans or whatever, you know, barking and yapping. That is like you, like to me, your your first line of defense is noise, and then I mean. You know where I live. Like, if you have the means to do it, the number one thing you can have is a perimeter fence. Yeah. You know, most homes in America, they have a fenced backyard and open front yard. We don't get, um, you know, b- beyond home invasion. I don't get Jehovah Witnesses or whatever trying to save me. I don't get door-to-door salesmen. I don't get any of that because you can't get hit. You know, and there's a big sign that warns about the big scary dogs, and then sometimes the dogs are outside, and that really is a deterrent. So they do a good job of looking scary, Jack. Yeah, they, so I mean, to me, a fence and dogs. I guess people, when they're asking this, they're always talking about like defensive weapons, though. I mean, yeah, if you want to go there, like the number one selling item on Amazon UK during the riots was a baseball bat. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think having a so the other thing is having thought through what you would do and know what you will do. Yeah. Is is going to do so much better than any weapon that you have, knowing how to get out, where to go, if that's the best way. Because retreating is a good option, right? Yeah. If you know early somebody's coming in and you're not there to be hurt, you can be taking steps to deal with the fact that they're there. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I guess like if we go back to the weapon side. One of the things that uh, that works really good is spraying somebody in the face with with wasp and hornet spray, mm-hmm. and it's like a twelve foot range, and it's to I, me to me it's it's way better than uh, mace because there's a whole lot more of it. <laughs> it's just, I mean, you're just drenched in it, and I my only caveat with that is like so if the police show up to you know deal with the situation. Don't tell them that you had it there for that reason because you're technically not supposed to do that. But it was just there. I mean, I mean, I, you're going to use what you have, right? I, you know, it was that or a bat, and this went further. Um, yeah, because it's, it's. I have bear spray, but they probably won't like that if I use it. But whatever. Yeah, yeah bear spray works. You know? I hike. I have bear spray. Uh, it makes sense to me, you know. So between getting bit by a dog, spray with bear spray, hit with a bat. And then, and then you run away. I, I guess you'd be in pretty good shape. My my thing though is, you know, they make these things called locks, right? right? So like the number one thing you can do for home security is lock your doors, especially when you're home. There was a some kind of daytime talk show, like an Oprah type thing, but it wasn't Oprah. God knows what it was years ago. Uh, but I work from home a lot of my life. My wife would watch stuff like that, and I walk out, and this guy's on. He is the the most famous cat burglar in the world, apparently. Like, the guy works with the FBI and stuff to help him catch people now. Like, that kind of level of guy. This guy robbed, like, the Kellogg family. Like, Kellogg cereals. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that mm-hmm. level of a cat burglar. He always broke in when people were home. And he never got caught 
directly. He ended up getting caught due to like his supply chain, like where he was fencing stuff. They got another guy, and a guy ratted him out. They never caught him in the act. And what he would do is he would slip in your house while you're home, go straight to the master bedroom, lock the door. He, he did it when you were home because that's when the door was unlocked and you could just get right in. So mm -hmm. he cased the place, watch everybody. Knew, he already knew the layout of the house. Straight into the master bedroom, that's where the jewelry is, the money is. And he always wanted to take small, expensive stuff. Because if you're like running through a street with like a TV on your back, especially this is the yeah. 80s, so like a big TV, like that's not going to work. Plus, no if you take stuff like that, it might take you well, days to even realize it's gone. But the, but his his brilliance was, let's say you know you're in your house with your spouse, and guy breaks in, goes and locks the bedroom door. You go to go in the bedroom. What do you do? Who do you blame for it being locked? Your spouse. Your spouse, yeah. Right, yeah. You locked the door. No, I didn't. So you start arguing with each other. That's his alarm. They're now mm -hmm. aware something's wrong. He, he would just go out the window and disappear. And if he got to the point where he was ready to leave and he hadn't you know, had his alarm trip, he'd really carefully unlock the door and still go out the window. So that no one would know anything. It would be days before they would report it. And they said, well, what is the number one way to prevent somebody like you from doing what you do? And he said, lock your doors. Because I don't have time to be out there picking a lock in, the, in a bright daylight. Yeah, no way. But if, if somebody just sees me walking to your house, your neighbor sees that. They, it doesn't, like, you, you don't go, like, hey, somebody went in their house. You know, if, you, like, if you're away, like, so what are you saying? Like, if you're away on vacation or whatever, and so, your neighbor sees me going to your house, that's suspicious. You're home and somebody sees me, I'm just a guest. So lock your doors. That would be my number one way to uh, to defend your home is is lock your doors. Lock your doors and get a dog, and 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 bear spray. <laughs> yeah, bear spray. or have a next door neighbor who is a sleepless vet who likes to go out to his hammock. Just get word out about that in the neighborhood. People don't come by. There you go. <laughs> Most people can't do that though, right, Jack? No, no, and usually that means you're going to have well, you know. There's going to be firearms involved as well. Yeah, there That's, might there, there might well be. be. That's my question. <laughs> people say without firearms, like why? I guess if you live in the UK or something, I understand. But like, get a gun and solve that problem, man. So some people have spouses who are unwilling to use or learn how to use firearms. Yeah. E. Yeah. I will just not say anything. At least I get in trouble. Anyway, so <laughs> let's talk about how to lower our gaff. Right? So oh, that's our yeah, give, that's easy. Give an F factor, right? Now yeah. this was this was something that um I came up with because I had a friend named Neil, and Neil was fond of the term the square root of F all. Mm -hmm. and, and it has as much effect as the, the square root of F all. And so I came up with the the, the Franklin algorithm, which was that, and then the, the Spirko compensation factor. So once you square the root of F all, you then multiply it by negative 40 gaff. And that puts you in the proper <laughs> state of mind to totally not give a shit anymore. And I think that, like, The reason this is an interesting topic and kind of a preparedness topic for me is because so many people are worried about shit that doesn't affect their life. And yeah. I come at anarchy, and I think you do as well, from a standpoint of what we would call proactive apathy. So it's not that yeah. I don't care. 
It's that I don't care about most of the things that other people care about. Because, like, you care about making sure all your coffee ships, right? Yeah, that's true. Like, Mama Sauce is in there packing boxes for you right now. Like, you conjure it. She that's literally is. So yeah. you could get on the phone with me for an hour and you, you yeah. offloaded that. But, see, you care about that. I and, do. And you care about that because you care about your customers. You don't hate money. You care about your business. So to say you don't give an F is not true, but it kind of is because when I ask you who's going to win the Democratic nomination, you're like, I got nothing. <laughs> I got coffee. Well, got so nothing. the easiest way to lower your gaff is to run a business because you don't have time to look at the Democratic election. I, I think so. Like if you're running a business, then that's what you care about. I think I think a surprising number of Americans have a very low gaff in regard to politics in spite of what the TV tells us to be otherwise. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for if it wasn't for boomers attacking each other and, and millennials attacking boomers and boomers attacking millennials on Facebook, I, I don't know that there would be much of a political discussion in the country today. It's like a pastime for people or something, I guess. It is a spectator sport, and just like with you know my football team lost, so I feel depressed when the drama stirs up and your team is on the wrong end of that. People get really upset. Yeah, yeah. My my question for most people is like, how does this affect you? Like, how does this affect your life? And I guess government affects us all to a degree, but there's going to be a government, there's going to be a state, they're going to do things we don't like. The, you change out the name of the clown, it doesn't really change. Like, what I've what I've thought about this, you know, as an adult, I go back to Reagan. Mm-hmm. Right? I go back to Reagan, and I have to honestly say that. The president of the United States, from Reagan through Trump, has had very little impact on my actual life. That's I, true. I haven't always believed that. Reagan but, had a big impact on my actual life, but that's because I was a bilingual German speaker. Okay, you have to explain that now. <laughs> the wall came down, okay. and then business opportunities went up between the U.S. and Germany. Mm. <laughs> so mm. I made a career on that. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. So but, I, a, you know, at the time I hated him because I was a socialist. Uh, a socialist who had their business career launched by a capitalist cowboy president. Whoops. Who hated him for it. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's like a, dude, that should be a novel. It should be a yeah. book. <laughs> see, my thing is, like, I think the biggest way to lower your, your gaff on things that you shouldn't care about is like you, you hit it on the head with the business, but it doesn't have to be a business. Focus on the things that actually matter. Mm-hmm. The more you're doing with things that actually matter, like I said yesterday, the reason we were talking about all these different plants is choosing the seeds that you're going to grow next year will have a much bigger impact on your life than Ask Clown Circus 2020 will. It will matter. Like You will actually have food in your home that you and your family will eat because of this decision, and regardless who the next president is, even the things that do affect you, like you don't actually have the ability to do anything about it anyway. All you can do is react to it. Like, so that was like, that's what you did, right? Deeply philosophical though. If you take that instead of literally seeds and just any seeds of what you develop, that was, that was a pretty good quote, Jack. I, I throw those things out once in a while, (laughs) but yeah, you know, plant seeds of something in your life. Like most people, And I think it's because we've lost our personal power to the point where people literally do not uh, do not believe 
that they have the ability to change their lives anymore. They, 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 have, they have been convinced that if your life's not right, it's up to somebody else to fix it, and the somebody else just always turns out to be the state. Like, that's, that's literally where we're at, and that is really sad. Because yeah. even if you, even if all the people you want to be in power get in power, they're still not going to do what you think they are, right? They're still not going to do what you think they are. It's still, your life is still not going to change until you do something about it. Yeah, and the question you need to ask is, what can I do, not what can't I do? It's kind of like, people always tell me they can't get their teeth their cavities fixed because they don't have insurance for dental. Uh-huh. And I'm like, have you called the dentist and asked how much it'll be? And can you find that, you know, it could be up to 250 bucks. Like, can you figure out a way to get that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> can you fly to Mexico and get dental work done there? If can it's too expensive here and have a great vacation at the same time, go to the, the, the dental college. Yeah, right? like they, they they do that too. Like you can go to like the dental schools where they're you know they'll give you a discount. You might hurt a little bit, but you know you you'll get to keep your teeth. Like I think that's the same with everything though. Like so, how do you get what you want? How, like whatever it is that you actually want, what does it take to get that? Because I you know I'm back to the thing with that where you can pretty much in in America today. I think you can pretty much with with you know some check on reality mm-hmm. like i want a gazillion dollars okay well okay yeah but i don't want to work for it <laughs> the, the the things that people really you know reasonable things that people may want in their lives you can have any of it you just can't have all of it and all of it comes with some level of sacrifice and condition mm-hmm. so then you determine what that sacrifice and condition is and then either you actually want it or you just said you wanted it and then you make a decision and you you go for it because i think that The most powerful thing we can do with our mind is ask it a question. How mm-hmm. can I? How how you know how can I get this thing or whatever it is? Because your mind's a computer and have you ever like watched a movie or read a book and it ends and it doesn't really end? Like Yeah, it's, like it doesn't I, resolve. It doesn't resolve. And what do you immediately start doing? You start writing your own freaking ending to it yep. or your own continuation in your head because your brain works that way. When you ask your brain an open-ended question, even when you stop directly thinking about it, it's still trying to solve for X. And instead yeah. of asking the open-ended question, which causes the mind to open, we make a definitive statement, I can't have this. So we, we that's the only way. So you wrote a conclusion instead of an open-ended something with a sequel. And then you wonder why you don't get anything. Well, right. Because you've, you've, you wrote the end. Yeah, you asked the wrong question. Well, you didn't, ask, here's the, a, you didn't ask any question. Right. You Not just said, question. that's the definitive, I can't have this. Okay, well, now you don't get it. Yeah. Well, here's a thought, though. We're near the holidays. People get all twisted about their families because a lot of people have toxic family relationships. So how do you lower your G- your gaff on the toxic people in your life that you're likely to come across in the next three, four weeks? I'm pretty good at just not going where they are. I mean, <laughs> and I know not everybody can do that, but I just like yeah. where those people are, I don't go there. Or if I go there, I don't talk to them. You know, and I guess I'm lucky. I don't have a lot of toxic people in my life anymore. I'm pretty good at re- repelling them, <laughs> right? So they don't go where I am either. But, like, I think the biggest thing is just 
avoid conflict with those people. Like, for some reason, I don't even think it's about toxic people. It's just that, like, every family has these unresolved issues. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, people believe that, like, Thanksgiving and Christmas are the time to talk about, you know, the, the 75-year-old elephant in the room. Like, it's just, the like, no. Like, Maybe not today, Dad. That is not the, <laughs> the deal. And, like, if somebody starts... If somebody starts picking the wound, don't take the bait. You know, just refuse to yeah. engage. And I guess there's going to be some conflicts where you can't, because I've dealt with people like that in my life, like no matter how hard you try to just not, they've decided that they're going to. And I don't know, I'll take a walk with the dog. I mean, you know, for years when we had a more issue like this with things like Thanksgiving, I always did a smoked turkey. Because the mm -hmm. smoker's outside. <laughs> like, See, that's, like, that's brilliant. Come up with something to do that, that, that doesn't actually require your attention, but pretend that it does. And yeah. then go, I, I got to go check on a turkey. It's in a smoker. It could be there for a day. It's not going to matter. But nah, they don't know that. Or like right. I remember there was an episode of Friends where one of the friends didn't want to be involved with Monica cooking anymore because she's like a control freak. And they're watching – it was Phoebe. And, and Chandler's watching football, and she's like, do you really watch it? He's like, no. I don't I don't care who it is. I just don't want to be involved with the kitchen, right? So like, <laughs> so then she's like, well, how do you do it? He goes, he goes, just every once in a while you yell, you know? And like, and they, like Monica comes in and goes, how's your team doing? And he's like, Simmons has scored another touchdown. And then when she walks away, he looks at her and he goes, there is no Simmons. <laughs> like, so just come up with something. It's like you're like you're engaged with that thing, and then I don't have time for the toxic person, you know. And if it can be something you actually enjoy, great. But I'd I'd rather sit around and drink a really good port and pretend to watch football than discuss a family issue from 20 years ago that we're not going to fix. Right. Well, yeah. and I guess the other thing, like at the beginning of this, it, you decide to give a care about because I don't want to say that word yeah. for your listeners yeah. about. Um, about things that matter, things that you can impact, right? Yeah. So you choose, you make a decision to not about the things that don't. It, I think it's the same with toxic people. You make a decision to not include them in your life. That's okay too. You may have that family thing, but you may have that one person that just needs to not be there. And yeah. a lot of people don't embrace that it's okay. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm busy that day. Yeah. And you know, another thing is with that, there are people that need to not be there. That Not having them there is pretty easy. But yeah. for some reason, people feel compelled, but we have to. And the person that you don't want doesn't really want to come either. But yeah. yet, oh, we got to get everybody together. No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> you absolutely do not. It'll be okay, you know. Um, and it, it, there's enough splitting the issue now. Like, I, I realized as I, you know, integrated into another family, like, that creates its whole... These in-laws want you here. Those in-laws want you there. Fortunately for me, that's not really an issue. But right. But then we have so many divorces and bifurcation of bifurcation. Like people end up having to go to multiple places anyway. Just put the toxic person in the least, uh, the least fertile environment for their toxic thing, right? Like push. Like you know how we have a kids table at Thanksgiving? Yeah. Maybe we just need a toxic table. Toxic table. Toxic Out, outside. Table. <laughs> outside. 
<laughs> oh, you're running the toxic table. You're What's gonna that? be in the laundry room. It's cold out there. <laughs> it's cold out. Yeah, just I mean, you know, don't get so wrapped up in it. Don't. I think the reason people get all upset, get kind of like all all twisted with it is they're worried about it, and I don't. And mm -hmm. the big thing is not to worry about being right. Like once that person says something, this compulsion that we need to correct it. Like they're they're not going to accept that correction. No matter Jesus could show up and say, "Listen, Tom, Bill's right," and, and, and Tom would throw Jesus out. Right, and say Jesus is a conspiracy theorist or something. Like you know, like there there are people that like you can't you can't resolve that thing. So just, yeah, if you don't have any intention to, that to me unwinds a lot of the tension because well, what if so and so brings it up? Ah, whatever, Tom, you're right. Just tell them they're right. You're yeah. right, Tom. And then that pisses them off more. Oh, that's yeah. There's a there's a, a biblical uh, component there of heap heap. I think it's something like. Heap loving coals of kindness upon the head of your enemy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess we're not going to fix that one all. Let's talk about something else. People we'd like to avoid. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh, the, the, the IRS. I wrote a story. The, the, the place Ira Ramon Sancia comes from is a short story I wrote a long time ago. Mm -hmm. I lost it. I should rewrite it. And it was this guy and runs a restaurant and a kind of mobster type guy shows up and lays down how he's going to pay him protection money and tells him all the things that they do to protect the neighborhood and all. And at the end of the story, the guy says, if you need me, here's my card. And that's his name, Ira Ramon Sancia, IRS. Mm -hmm. And so I cast the IRS as this kind of mobster gangster that you end <laughs> up admitting does do some things that are fundamentally useful in a way. doesn't mean we need that method, but the marauds, as foolish right. as that is as an argument, They, there are roads. We do drive on them. That's a useful thing, right? So, yeah, okay. Yep. So this is a, a fundamental reality that we're going to pay the tax man. And I think that one of the problems that I have as I'm trying to communicate something is that people don't understand that, well, I live in a different world than they do because I own a business, and so do you. So when people ask how to lower the tax footprint until you have a business. It's harder. It's a lot harder. There's... There's one way. What's that? The concept of mine, money I never earned. That's a good one. That's, yeah, that's that's uh, fence post money, right? Yeah. That'll yeah. reduce your taxes. That's always some sort of entrepreneurial thing, though. Yeah. You know what that's I mean? True. It's always a secondary source of income, right? <laughs> like, Because the best way to have mine money is to have a job so that you have an income mm -hmm. that is reported, that justifies your existence. And then you have other money. Right? So that's some of my favorite money is other money. Right? Other money. <laughs> This is yeah. other money. So that's usually, you know, the guy that's reloading for friends or, you know, I don't know, making special brownies or whatever. Um, that kind of has like that side cash only type agorist business. That's one way. And there are things you can do with real estate. There's things you can do with your investments and all. But when I say that 90% of the tax code is how you get out of the 10 that you have to do, Of that 90%, like 90% of the 90% applies only to people that have at least self-employment income. Right. Because it just opens up like so many things. Because if you're like a blog, if you're a professional blogger and you have a revenue stream, literally anything you buy and write about with some limitations on, you know, have to depreciate certain things or whatever becomes a tax deduction. 
I mean, I, I started a blog one time called $10 Wine. It's still out there. And I just reviewed a bottle of wine a week. Well, the wine was gone. I didn't get to keep it. So I, I wrote off a bottle of wine a week. Right. And my account's like, I, there's, I, I can't see a flaw with this. Yeah, it's not like you're writing off seven cases a week. No, no. I'm, you know, if, if I was a, a slot, I probably could have figured out how. But I got <laughs> a bottle of wine a week. Here's the review. Ads are on the site. You know, it, 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 it's and it's like, how creative can you be? But I mean, the other thing is, man, if you, I say CPA and tax attorney, yeah, tax attorney is for more complex structural situations. A CP, so it's not mandatory for everybody. If you are doing anything other than figure, filling out a basic 1040, you need a CPA. And that CPA will literally cost you no money if they're good at what they do. Because, you know, the 500 to 1,000 bucks in prep that they're going to charge you, they're going to save you way more than that on money you would be paying in. And, if, and when people say, well, there's no way to save me that much money, then you don't need a CPA. Right. Oh, there is, though. You don't have to earn that much. Yeah. Yeah. My no, in fact, the more job, you can lose, the better. <laughs> I did. The, so my first job out of college, I worked a job and then I was doing 1099 income as a teacher. And I did my taxes for the first year and I ended up owing 600 bucks. Hmm. And then I paid 600 bucks to a CPA and he got me money back. See? And, and if I would have just filed him as I did, I would have had to pay. So he literally paid for himself and then made me more money. And that's what they should do. That's what they yeah. should do. So my CPA this year, with the large man's tax cut, supposedly only for the wealthy, I don't consider myself wealthy, not the way they mean that word anyway, I got a massive tax cut because mm -hmm. she was able to say, okay, so we're not going to do the home interest uh, deduction anymore. Because of the salt limit thing and, and all and the, the sales tax and all. So you, you just do the double standard deduction. But now, now let's take a look at that home office deduction. And let's mm -hmm. take your homeowner's insurance. Let's take you know uh, the cost of everything and backfeed it through that, that, that formula that we use on your home office deduction. And it, it went from being a really piddly deduction to being a very significant deduction. She earned all her money and then some in that one deduction. And you know, you tell people that and like, oh, that's one of those things that triggers an audit. I stop reading blogs by people who aren't CPAs about taxes. Please. Like no, that's 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 not how that works. Can you justify it? And besides, if you're gonna get audited, you're gonna get audited. It's usually not due to a trigger. It, it's usually just due to in many ways, your number coming up. Yeah. The key with an audit is can you can you justify what you did? And that's when you want a tax attorney and a CPA, by the way, if you're getting because <laughs> audits is like yeah. it's like having a proctology exam without anesthetic uh, with a really big fist. I mean, it's it's not something you want you want to go through, but. Um, yeah, I my mom would not got have... audited and the auditor didn't show up to their appointment and then they put a warrant out for her arrest for not showing up. But because she was there with a CPA yeah. as a witness, yeah. she won that. Awesome. So they lied. They li oh, gee, <laughs> she the wouldn't have hired somebody. Lied. She would have been screwed. The yeah. government lied. So I, I say, though, you're, the place to start out here is you have to have a business if you really want to play the tax game the way the game was designed to be played. Because all the people that wrote the tax code, 
are people that have a business. It was written for it wasn't written for individuals. It was written for 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 corporations. It was written by corporations. All of your senators and Congress clowns and all these people all own businesses, and they don't write legislation anyway. We know who writes legislation. Yes, we do. We Companies. worked in that business. Right? Yeah. Right? Companies write legislation through lobbyists who then give it to congressmen who then pass the law and claim they wrote the law that they didn't write. So right. when it comes to tax law, this is a place where they're going to put as much resources as they can because it's a it's a good ROI. I would do it if I was a giant mega corporation and like going, hey, should we get some lobbyist action going on? Yeah, where should we put our money? Tax. That's one of the first places I want to look because that's going to repay me over and over and over again. So that whole system was written for businesses to take advantage of. So if you want to take advantage of it, you need a business. And, and the other thing is you need to organize the little things and keep up on it, or you end up doing what I do every year, which is several weekends of hell. Yeah, I'm pretty bad. I I, I keep track of everything, but so usually it's you know like a day during my Christmas shutdown, I go through all my uh, monthly statements and kind of clean them up and make like okay, yeah, that goes over in this whatever. Um, but you know, learn to use Excel. <laughs> And put yeah. everything in Excel, and everything is so much easier that way. Um, but that, I mean, I, I can't give you more than get a business and get a good CPA. That's because everything else is just kind of bullshit, you know. I mean, yeah. like because they change the rules all the time. And the reason I, if I needed another reason to despise taxes and the government, is when you don't know what to do, and your CPA doesn't know what to do, and you call the IRS and you ask them what to do, they tell you they can't tell you what to do. Yeah, they will do that. They will. T they just won't give you specific guidance on an issue. Now, they clearly know the answer because when you do it wrong, <laughs> they're quick <laughs> to tell you once you've done it wrong, but they, they will not give you a definitive answer to certain questions. Like we've, So get a good CPA, and then that way you can always at least to some degree stand behind, I took a professional licensed person's advice in this and this is the decision we came to and if you do ask for guidance and you don't get it do record it just mm -hmm. like kind of like your mom had evidence that they didn't show up that that's pretty low even for them so yeah, money it's really low money i mean i think that we're better off making more money sometimes instead of trying to save money so focus on the income side which will lead you to a business which will lead you to deductions because the way i look at it Most Americans earn, and then they pay tax, and then they spend. Mm -hmm. As a business owner, not on everything, but to a large degree, you change that equation to I earn, I spend, and then I pay tax on what's left. Right. And that's right. the magic. That's how it works. And that's not cheating. That's playing the game. It's how the code's written. So on money. Somebody asked about hoarding copper pennies. <laughs> This one cracked me up. <laughs> um, so the whole point there is that I haven't looked at the price of copper for a long time, but especially a few years ago, copper got really high. Yeah. And a penny was worth like four cents in copper. So people, I don't know if you know this, people made machines to sort copper from zinc pennies. So 
when you look at a penny, if it says 1981 or earlier, mm -hmm. it's 95% copper. And if you look at a penny 1983 or forward, it's zinc is, is what it's mostly made of. So it's, it's not worth a penny anymore. It's only worth a penny because it says it's a penny. In 1982, you're not really sure. And this is kind of a cool thing to teach a kid. You know, you like flip a coin to see what side it'll land on. Mm -hmm. If you flip a penny and you kind of hit it with your finger, your thumb fingernail when you do so, it kind of pings when it goes up in the air. You can mm -hmm. actually tell a copper 82 from a zinc 82 by the sound that it makes while it's spinning in the air. You have to be really bored on a winter day to figure that out, but I did. So <laughs> given that that is kind of tedious, there are people that actually sell on eBay penny sorting machines that weigh them because the copper ones weigh a little more and just like throw all the copper to one side and all the zinc to the other side. And so what people do is they get a machine like that. They go to the bank and they get like $100 worth of pennies. They sort them and they put all the copper ones aside and they just take the ones that are zinc back. Mm -hmm. And deposit them. And they keep doing that so they can end up with like, you know, $10,000 worth of pennies or something. And in theory, if it was, you know, 3x value, that would be $30,000 worth of copper. That's that's the theory. Have you, have you ever really looked at what like, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks worth of pennies looks like, though? Yes. It's, it's, I've rolled them. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. I, I just... I. I just look at that and I think the economics are sort of there, maybe. You're betting on – what they're betting on is that someday the government is going to lift the ban on melting pennies down. Mm -hmm. They're going to basically decommission the penny. And, and there is a movement toward that at some point where they're just going to say, round to the nickel. Because the penny is literally not worth making anymore. It costs more to make pennies than they give as value into our economy. It makes no sense to make pennies anymore. That's so the hope true. is that someday they'll, they'll decommission the penny. It will no longer be legal tender. And then you'll be able to take all your pennies and go to the junkyard and sell them for copper. And so there's an unknown in there. You have no idea what the price of copper would be when that would happen. And it just seems like if you wanted some money, <laughs> that there's something. There's an ROI question I have there, here. There's That's something my only you thing. could be doing. Like, Is it even worth the space? Or Because the time? The time and the like. The space. This, these pennies are going to have to sit for a while. Because I know all this because somebody asked about this like nine years ago. Yeah. So I looked at all this up, and so if you started doing this nine years ago, you're still sitting on a shitload of pennies. The underlying concept is no matter what you don't lose money because in the end it's there's still pennies you could still take them to the bank and deposit them or whatever but i just I, i i'm sitting here looking at a fish tank and going i could probably sell a few cuttings out of my fish tank a month on ebay and do way better than this yeah i mean if it's a hobby you're doing with your kid and you're getting quality family time out of it sure okay yeah i could see that but if you can spend your time or effort somewhere better I just wouldn't mess with it. You like when Matthew was little, I went and got all those little folders like nickels and pennies and stuff that had all the dates on them. Yeah. And then you just pull out your pocket change and fill the little holes in and stuff like that. And, you know, that was fun, but it didn't take a lot of time either. It was, you know, let's see what we got today. Oh, we already have that one. And we throw that in the piggy bank or whatever. Like, and it, it taught about money and all. But I, 
I, I don't think hoarding pennies is really a good idea. I just I think there is something you could do with your time that would make you more money for less effort. Um, I think if you if you put that time into growing a garden, the value of the food you produced would far exceed what those pennies will ever do for you. If you want to do it, though, they people sell them. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, swear go. to God, you could go to eBay, <laughs> right? And you can buy all copper pennies. And they'll sell for like 1.5 times face value. Mm-hmm. So, to me, <laughs> to me, the smart person is not the one hoarding the copper pennies. The smart person is the one that tied into the market of people who want to hoard them. Yep. Because they're not holding on to the pennies for years and years. They're just dumping them. They're just like, so like they're just filling a market demand. Like they bought their electronic sorter. And, you know, if I was doing this, I would not have a fairly large inventory. Like I, you would, I think you could figure out pretty quick, like to get, you know, uh, $200 worth of copper pennies, I'm going to need to start out with, let's say, $1,500. Mm-hmm. So when you got the order, you would just start sorting for that order. And I still, even looking at that, go, man, that seems like, maybe you should sell coffee instead. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I don't grind coffee. I just don't like grinding coffee. See? You eliminate things. So. Uh, the rare order gets ground. <laughs> so with coffee, coffee would make a good gift. We had a, a, a question about... Gifts that spread the prepper mindset for Christmas. I see. Oh. <laughs> What do you think? Coffee. Well, so I have a story. Okay. I, I have some gift ideas, but I have a story first. And so I worked at the think tank who exposed Al Gore's energy use. Okay. And I was a target of a lot of, um, like, death threats because I was the only girl there. <laughs> and so they went after the girl. And my brother-in-law's wife was a like vehement save the world from global warming person that Christmas I got a coffee mug that when you put coffee in it it showed you what would happen to the coastlines when the seas rise oh so it was like a map and then the yeah and it was a a screw you gift sure is what it was and so my first thought when I read that and it's probably not how the person meant to ask the question is I feel like if you're going to give somebody a gift, you should give them a gift and not give them a judgment. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of a fine line. Like I'm thinking prepper books are a bad idea. <laughs> I wouldn't go with prepper books. See, my philosophy is you give somebody something that they're actually going to use and that yeah. they're going to get enjoyment from, but it is going to lead them to, hey, I'm glad I have this thing. So like... I have a list, and we probably won't go through the whole thing, but if anybody wants to know like some of my really highly recommended stuff, all of it's on T-SPAS, of course, um, if you go to today's episode and you'll see a, a whole bunch of like inexpensive things, but one of them is like the E-Tech City four-pack of lanterns. Yeah. Like, they're like... They carry six, pressure canners on there, right? It's not. Maybe it should oh, be. Oh, it right? should be. If they love canning and don't get to it, that thing is awesome. Yeah, so, like, see, that's, like, it's a gift, right? But, like, so the lanterns, like, oh, that's just a cool thing. No one's going to be like, oh, you're you're a jackass for getting that. It wasn't, like, your mug, right? But so you know that sooner or later their power's going to go out. Right. So when they pull that out and use it, it's like, oh. And if it came with, like, instructions, like, what I've done is all the rooms in my house, 
have a little bitty hook somewhere in the roof. You can't even see it unless you know to look for it. Mm-hmm. Right? It's painted the same color as the roof. It's not even there. And when the power's out, to light that room, you take one of those stupid cheap lanterns, open it up, and by opening it, it comes on, and you hang it off that hook. And they run for like 12 hours on a set of batteries. Well, if you put a little set of hooks in there with them and explain to them what to do, now, oh, this is cool. And now the, the kids can use it when they're reading at night or whatever, but yet it serves that purpose. Or like the little Gerber EAB knives. To right. me, that's a cool thing. And then people carry it, and they're going to use it all the time. Um, the Gerber Dime multi-tool, you know, that is like for a keychain thing. I don't know many people that would be like offended by give, being given a mini multi-tool. It might be a little more, it might be a little bit more appreciated by the male demographic than the female in some instances, but it's a thing you're going to use. Like, and then the French press, like, see, that doesn't sound like a prepper item, but no. But for French press to me is like, it's like one of the best ways in the world to make coffee, but. But you can also make coffee without power. <laughs> without power. As long as you can boil water, you can make coffee. Because it will flat floor you how much energy a coffee maker makes or takes. Like, it's, it's a ridiculous, like, your generator, like, bo like revs up because you plugged a freaking coffee maker into it. Yeah. So it's, like, one of the places you really don't want to be using your backup energy if you have it. And if you're doing this for a person, like, they're being asked about, they probably don't have a generator. But, you know, do they have a, a, a gas stove or do they have some type camp of out, stove? Out, camp stove, whatever. Camp stove mm -hmm. might be a good gift, but... See, that's where you got to tread lightly, like your, your, your cautionary tale there. Like, I'm not going to give a camp stove to somebody that doesn't camp. Right. But if somebody's a camper, they might already have a camp stove. I give them a French press, and you're like, hey, this is why it's so cool. Not only can you make coffee, you can make tea with it. Hey, check this thing out. It's insulated. Uh, you know, it makes better coffee. Let me show you how it works. Maybe you were really smart. You go to Holler Roast. You get some really awesome coffee, and you put Great that idea, with, Jack. Their, with their with their French press. But hey, you can make tea with it. So go out and pick, you know, either your own or get some bulk herbs. Mix up a couple tea blends. Put those in some little jelly jars. Put some little um, little ribbons on them and label them or whatever. And give somebody like a French press and you know four different teas that you made. You can knock out a whole bunch of people with the teas because you can buy, you know, a pound of lemon balm, a pound of mint, or whatever. Make up all these cool teas. Nobody's offended by that. And then, you know, with the French press, I can make coffee, I can make tea. Oh, and you don't have to make it about preparedness. But you can say, you know what? If your power ever goes out, as long as you can boil water, you can still make coffee in the morning. Mm -hmm. And that starts people down that whole, hey, maybe. Oh, what if the power goes out? <laughs> Backup battery, like the Anchor Power Core battery backup. Like, I, people that are not prepared for anything have backup batteries for their cell phones. Well, if you give somebody that that doesn't have it, the first time that phone is like on 3% and they plug it into it, it starts at least the thought process of, hey, maybe that, maybe Nicole is not crazy for being a prepper. I wonder what else, you know, and, and because the best way to teach somebody something is to get them to ask you. Absolutely true. So, I mean, like, those are some of the things, like, uh, what we was talking about the French press, little, the four-life tea infuser is, like, 
less expensive and a little smaller. And like, so tea and that, like, because then, you know, if you use your own herbs, you can talk about your garden when you give it to them. And now it's personal. It's really cool. It feels like a gift. It's not, hey, you need to be a prepper. Here's some MREs, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's cool, but yet it, it, it starts people thinking. Like, you want to get people gardening, give them a fresh pepper out of the garden. Don't tell them they need a garden. And so stuff like that, um, battery chargers, the, like the AA, AAA battery, everybody uses double and triple A's. Um, I've got some stuff like Amazon Basics actually makes pretty damn good rechargeable batteries and a pretty good charger. That's in the show notes. That might be a good gift for somebody. Uh, everybody has remote controls and stuff like that. Use double A batteries. Now that's a little more utilitarian. So you kind of want to think about it. I mean, all I, I think about here is remember, I think it was Scrooge where he gave his girlfriend steak knives. <laughs> and she threw them at him because she was so offended or whatever. Like, you think about the person, too, you know. Don't, you don't... do have to think about the person. So, Well, the other thing is being prepared is knowledge. It's building knowledge. And so if you know the person and you want to start them down that path and they have expressed interest in cheese making or knife making or, or making pottery, get them a class. Get them a class, yeah. Get them a class. Go with them. Yeah. And and then, you know, that's where they start learning, oh, wow, I can do this on my own. And then once you start doing things on your own, you start realizing if I think ahead, then I can, you know, be ready for something that happens. Like the water system turns off in California or forest fires, all the things we see happening. Yeah, you know, uh, what that makes me think of is our, our mutual friend David, like what he's doing for his son now. Oh, yeah. He's getting him experiences instead of things. So he's in his teens and like he wanted to learn how to use construction equipment. So it worked out great for me. David rented an excavator and they came over here and dug a hole I needed dug. Um, so it worked out for me too. But you know, <laughs> he's coming back with a bobcat to, to, cause he wants to learn how to use a bobcat. Well, that's not just a great experience. Like that's a skill. It is. So now you got a, a teenager who knows how to use probably the two most useful pieces of construction equipment that are available that that opens up, you know, more job opportunities that saves a ton of money when you need equipment like that, that you yep. know how to operate it. And it's the, it's the level of equipment that like, I guess you'd call it this way. A civilian can go rent. Right. Cause they're like, if you want a 30 ton excavator, they're not just like, if you call up like the, the, tomorrow to call you to say, you want to take the side of the mountain down and you phone up and say, yeah, I want to rent a 30 ton excavator. They're like, eh, no. Pound sand is what yeah, they were Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> without an excavator, by the way, because you're going to have to have insurance, a company. You're going to want to know, like, well, who's running this thing? But if you want, like, a Mini-X, you call them up, they just drop it off and say, see yeah. you. Right? So, oh, like, no, they, they say this is how you use it if you don't know how. They don't even care that you don't know how. Yeah, yeah, they show you how it works, you know. Um, so that, like, if you can use a Mini-X, a Bobcat, and, like, a front-end loader, like, a, you know, then you, you've you got a, a tremendous ability there. So I like your idea with classes. That's a really cool idea. Um, that also makes me think about, uh, I think I call it experiences, I'm not sure, but the thing Airbnb does now, mm -hmm. where like instead of just finding a house, maybe you go to somebody's place and they teach you how to cook or something. So there's probably stuff that's even local that yeah. you could set up through that for somebody. And then that gives them a skill because – The next thing we have on our list of random crap is what is the biggest failure in regard to preparedness for most people? And I don't think it's stuff. I think it's skill set and knowledge. 
It's also preppers. Oh. <laughs> you know the ones I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> preppers are the prepper failure. Yeah. Yeah. There's a certain kind of prepper that makes preparedness sound frantic and hysterical. The, you know, the ones that get <sighs> me the most are the ones that like, well, all I have for preparedness is I got my rifle. Yeah. I'm going to go take other people's stuff with it. Uh-huh. Okay. First, you're going to get Have you ever used your rifle? Yeah. No. yeah first, you're going to get shot. <laughs> you're going to get shot and bit. Um, second, like 99% of what we prepare for precludes the ability to do what you just said. Like you, like you're talking end of the world apocalyptic movie level shit, mm-hmm. which you're probably going to be dead anyway because of your mindset. So it doesn't even matter. But how is that going to help you when your power goes out for two weeks? Like you can't just go shoot your neighbor and take their <laughs> shit because your power's out for two weeks. Like you will go to prison or you'll get killed while you go try to do it. Right. Like so, yeah, that is a, a fundamental failure. The idea that I can just take what I want from others, but I think like when I look at most Americans today, if your power goes out for a week, you're going to survive. You might mm-hmm. lose a lot of food or whatever to you know to to, to spoilage or what have you because you don't have a plan, but they're going to be okay. Most people, if they didn't have to, if they couldn't go to the store for a week, there's enough food in your house to not die for a week. They're just going to be bored. They're going to be bored, right? Yeah, and they're going to be miserable, and maybe they're going to lose some stuff. And they're going to stink. And they're going to stink because they didn't have hot water. But eventually, they'll turn the power back on, and it, it it'll be you know it'll be you'll be able to make do. But if you had skills. Even if you had not all the stuff you would want, you'd be able to figure out how to deal with situations. So I think that the biggest failure we have is a fundamental lack of skills. And I guess the other one would be a fundamental lack of individual leadership. Because the reason most people's lives suck and they have so much quote unquote bad luck is they don't self lead. They don't solve their own problems. And I know that's not what the person asking the question was asking about, but that's, you want my opinion. That's it. The biggest failure of preparedness is people being prepared for freaking life. Absolutely. That's why we have adulting classes now. Yeah. My that's grandfather was. We're all in debt. <laughs> it, it, my grandfather, if somebody would have walked up to him in 1985 and said they were taking an adulting class, I guarantee he would have slapped them. Like an old coal miner ear slap. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, like, just the hell out of here. What's wrong with you, you commie? <laughs> I would have been something <laughs> like that, you know? Probably would have flicked his camel no filter at him after he smacked him. Like, the fact that we even have adulting classes shows that people, like, because I, I don't know, the, the, the concept that somebody would have to learn how to do laundry when they were already an adult, I, 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 I don't get it. I, even if you never did, like, Really? You, you, you can't figure out how to put the clothes in the, of the machine and turn I, it on? I, I think the instructions are actually, I've never actually read a bottle of detergent. I haven't needed to, but I, I kind of think it actually tells you how to do laundry on the bottle of detergent. I'm pretty it, sure it well, does. It does on most washers. Like if I put the lid yeah. to my washer, it says what to do. Normal wash, start, right? You yeah. Know? I've Don't put accused, too much stuff in there. I've been accused by my wife of not knowing how it works, but that's for other reasons. That's right? different. Because yeah. <laughs> I don't want to. You just don't I, do it the right way. 
So I think, <laughs> I think one of the biggest things is the failure of skills and knowledge. And I would say financial preparedness. Yeah, that was the first on my list was financial ducks in a row. You know, I mean, you have people that, and, and some of them are preppers and some of them aren't, that just, they're, they're financial train wreck. And we actually have preppers who think, I don't need to worry about that. Because mm -hmm. when the shit hits the fan, it's not going to matter anyway. It matters. Oh, it matters. When the shit doesn't hit the fan. Yes, and, and even if the shit hits the fan, eventually it's going to stop. And, yeah. And the people that want money from you now, when the shit hits the fan, they're going to want it more. They're not going to go, oh, well, you know, the shit hit the fan, so we'll just forgive his debt. I mean, I, I, I've never understood that mentality. I, that's that, that goes into the wishful thinking You know, the person that's smoking cigarettes every day but says, by the time I have cancer, they'll have a cure for it. They have no oh. no reason to believe that that is the case. But it's comforting to believe that it's the case, you know, um, which I think health would be my other one. People don't take care of their health. No, that's because if, if you do the hard thing now, it, it's hard. And yeah. so you have to do a harder thing later when you don't. But. It's it's easy to not take care of your health because you don't have an immediate repercussion of the bad decision you made. You know, and if even things that happened to us that like were going to happen anyway, some genetic predisposition, and you were going to get a cancer that's not a guaranteed death sentence, but it's it, it could be like you're going to have to fight it, and you may or you may not make it. If you're otherwise healthy, you're more likely to win that battle. Right. If you have type 2 diabetes, you've already lost your big toe, you have full-blown metabolic syndrome, you're 250 pounds overweight, um, you have congestive heart failure, and now you get that cancer, you're dead. So, like, take care of yourself and take care of your money. Which you would think that since we put kids in school for 13 years, that would be a big part of what we teach them. But they, they don't of, teach them that. They kind of paid lip service to it a little bit, like back when you and I were in school. But it wasn't, it wasn't the bulk of what you learned. I, I sure learned how to figure out an isosceles triangle. But uh, <laughs> and God, I'm glad I know how because without that, I don't know that I could sleep at night. You know, worried about all those unrectified isosceles triangles out there. You know. <laughs> You know, it's a good thing I learned about that. But, you know, we, we at least we did have, like, physical education. Uh, we had health class that wasn't, you know, explaining there were 75 genders. It was actually, you know, a health class. And we, I at least had some high school uh, courses. Personal that were finance. Finances, business, yeah. math. I had a business math course I took in high school. I took accounting in high school. Accounting one and accounting two and accounting three in high school. Those, those were actually my math credits. I got away from the triangles as soon as I found out I could. Like, wow. I don't have to take trig. Your I can school take... was better than Oh, mine. yeah. It's like, I could take accounting three for a math course? Oh, yeah, I'm doing that. I'm totally doing that, you know. And that did more <laughs> for me as a business person than, you know, calculus could have ever hoped to do. You could try to make a case to me otherwise if you want to, but... You know, if I if I need some sort of complex math done, I can figure it out or I can get somebody to do it for me. Mm -hmm. But being able to structure a forecast for a business to know how much debt I can take on the front of that business and service it by the end of the quarter, that actually matters, right? And so that might not matter to the average person, but you start thinking about your life that way. And you'll find the amount of debt you can service is probably none, you know, other than like a mortgage, and you don't get yourself into trouble. Because if people would take care of themselves financially and physically, 
most of the problems that people generally have could be avoided. And I, I always thought that's what preparedness was, avoiding problems. Yeah. Well, or, thinking or ahead so you can handle them and then they're not there. Avoiding or mitigating, right? That's, you know, because there are things that we can't prepare for. Being yeah. hit by a gravel truck, like if you get hit by a gravel truck, you're dead. Like, and that can happen. But where your, but your seat family belt, can be better off if right, you, you save money and had life insurance. Right, yeah, wear your seatbelt because maybe you'll get sideswiped instead of completely complicit, you know, by it. Mm -hmm. Guy emailed me one time and asked me why I always used a gravel truck. And he said he was driving down the road. Also, he saw this gravel truck coming at him. And he sort of got like Satan was driving it. Like he thought <laughs> it was going to get him. And, and I came up with that back when I lived in Arkansas because between my office and the, and the house, there was a quarry. So I passed like 80 of them every day. So uh, that's why I came up with gravel truck. But yeah, you know, like you can't be prepared for everything, but you can be prepared for most things. And I think maybe the reason people fail is kind of the, they avoid the, the crux of what I teach, which is prepare for the most likely thing first. And what people do is prepare for the least likely thing first. Yeah. Like zombies and an apocalypse and blue helmeted guys from the UN, you know, rappelling out of helicopters to put you in a concentration camp for FEMA. Or whatever else Alex Jones convinced you is going to happen. Which well, I'm still most, waiting for all that shit to happen, by the way. Yeah, we, we all are. Um, <laughs> the most likely thing to happen, though, and that's the financial preparedness that you need to be there for. It's a job loss. Job loss. And that's the one of the hardest things to prepare for if you're starting from a position of debt. So I think the other issue there is you can be preparing for some of these other things, like food security through uh, not having access to a grocery store because there's flooding around you that's actually happened here or you know things like that are easier to prepare for so people do it first but the whole time you need to be preparing financially every day yeah and that's that's it's like you need to remind yourself how you know ask yourself over your cup of coffee in the morning what am i doing today to prepare my finances well because here's a disaster you're sitting in your your, your uh dining room having dinner and you hear bam And your refrigerator just crapped the bed. Yeah. Now, if you have money, you just get a new refrigerator. Or you pay somebody to fix it, and you make a calculation. Is it worth paying to fix it? Mm -hmm. If you don't have money, well, you whip out the credit card, and you go into more debt. Mm -hmm. Right? And then you end up making bad decisions when you're not financially prepared because you, you see everything as a crisis, Largely because in at least some level it is. But when you're in crisis mode, you can't actually affect, like crisis management predisposes that you already understood the crisis before it occurred. Because if you actually are in the middle of a crisis, you can't think. You can't manage. You just react. Yeah. yeah. So when you have money, you're able to go, you know, the worst case scenario here is I need a new refrigerator. Right. That's my worst case. So. What are my other options? And you, you go through them and you, you know, well, first thing I'm going to have to do is like worry about all this food. So you throw all the food in the cooler, you start eating the ice cream, whatever, and you figure out how to deal with this problem. If you have no money and you're in debt already, you're, you're 12 problems ahead in your mind at that point. Yeah. Well, if I do this, how am I going to pay for groceries? This You see what I'm saying? Like all that financial stress and people say, well, that's easy to say when you have money. Well, but thinking this way is why I have money. Yeah. It's not I, just I have an, an event thing. fridge that cost me a dollar and that's what I will use if my fridge goes out. There you out. go. There you go. So if you're thinking that way already and you don't have money yet, well, you might want to get on your local next door. 
right? And, and mm-hmm. look for people getting rid of refrigerators. And even if you don't really need one, as long as you have the space, if it works, bring it home. Don't plug it in. Right. You know, no power you, needed. No power. Just, just sit it there. And if your refrigerator takes a crap, you've got another refrigerator. Problem averted. No money spent. Or, you know, maybe it is your beer fridge out in the garage. If, you know, you could take the beer out of the fridge. I know beer does not have to be cold. Yeah. And now the food can go in there. So like just thinking those ways and how do I do more with less? Like, because when we bought our refrigerator, they offered to take away my old refrigerator for me. They were hmm. such nice guys. They were going to take it away. Well, it was worth more to me as a refrigerator in my garage than it could ever have been, you know, worth selling secondhand or whatever. But I have a really nice stand-up deep freezer. I got it for nothing. Mm-hmm. Oh, next door. Lady said, I need to get rid of this thing. I will be right there. Yes. Right. I will be right there. You know, it works. Oh, I'm on my way. Well, you know, I spray painted it black, so it's kind of ugly. Don't care. Don't care. <laughs> Don't care. It works. It's got a cowboy sticker on it. I'll spray paint over it. I'll be right there. <laughs> you know, so I think, like, just knowing you can often get a lot of stuff for free. Maybe it's not the best stuff, but, you know, like, when you're, you're getting started, like, a lot of young people, you're getting started out, and they're like, well, I need all this stuff. No, you don't. Not really. No. Camping chair is nice in your living room. Camping chairs are nice. My first... Five dollars. <laughs> my first furniture. I was a teenager when I moved out. And it was a big, giant, wooden cable spool. And two little wooden cable spools for, for chairs. So that was my <laughs> table and chairs. And you know what? It actually looked kind of cool. Sometimes I think, well, I'd like to try to find because like I lived up in a mining town. There was all kinds of stuff like yeah. laying that around. Like it'd be kind of cool to find some stuff like that again. Put it out in the garage, out in the man cave, you know. And I think a lot of people today be like, oh, that's that's trashy. So what? So, so sit on the floor then, right? But what, instead, what they'll do is they'll buy really expensive low end furniture that's only going to last a couple years, and it, and that money is gone, and it doesn't make any sense. Like using. Um, secondhand stores, thrift stores, stuff like that, flea markets, Craigslist. Like, people could do so much more in their lives. Oh, yeah. You know. Hotel liquidators. I got my sofa huh. in my living room for, oh, was it $49? And it's a sleeper sofa. Wow. That's... And and it looks new. And, you know, people, you know, are just, like, constantly coming through my house. So the furniture just gets completely used. Most people say, well-loved. Yeah. So, I, I was not ready to buy something more durable, and I thought, well, for forty nine bucks, that'll get me through the next five years. Sure, sure. I, yeah, I got my first furniture when I moved to Texas. I got a couch for seven cents. Nice. The guy was going to get rid of it, and it was a decent couch. I mean, it wasn't great, but it was comfortable. And I said, well, I'll take it. He goes, well, I, I can't just give it to you. I have to sell it to you. And I don't know what his weird thing was. And he's, I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, yeah, pocket change. I'm like, I got. Seven cents. He goes, yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> Whatever. Man, I don't understand. He was going to put it in the dumpster and, yeah, man, here's your seven cents. And I got a couch. Like, there's so much available that people could do more with. So I think maybe it's not even a failure to prepare. It is bad decisions that create situations you should have had to prepare for in the first place. Like, being completely dead-ass broke while your refrigerator blew up. Like, that never had to happen. It did not. It did not. So it's rare that it does. So with that in mind, one of the ways to not be broke is to have a business. So our last random crap topic was 
business ideas and up and coming niches. Up and coming niches. What do you think are up and coming niches? I was just told about one that I disagree with because I think it has already up and come. Okay. But at my gym, they told me they think that premium coffee is up and coming. And I just looked at them like, hello, <laughs> do you want to buy some coffee? Yeah. No. Um, I think so. I have an unniche. I think CBD is going to have a correction soon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 it is following exactly the path that I said it would. And, of course, the. Crap throwing monkeys threw crap at me when I said this. Boom, <laughs> glut, bust. Bust. It's too easy to grow too much of. And sure, when it first hit, it was really in short supply because it takes a lot of a lot of bud to make an ounce of oil. It really does. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But as more and more places legalize it and more and more people get into growing it, And more and more efficient operations begin growing it. It's it's definitely going to get driven down. I think I think that's going to happen with cannabis as a whole too. Eventually, like, right? You, you, the only thing that will affect the pricing is government regulations will keep it propped up because I think every state that is you know quote unquote legalized it has come up with a racketeering scheme to make a fortune off of it. I mean, they're making, I think Colorado's making tens and tens of millions of dollars every year off of it. Yeah, and they want to keep that. Sure, sure. So that, there might be some limits there with how many licenses to grow they issue or whatever, but a lot of states are allowing, like, home grow, like, six plants, in, I think, in yeah. California, right? Yeah. So, like, I don't know how much you know about this, but six plants, I... You got one of those mind money businesses with six plants if you do it right. Right. You can grow an awful lot um, with, with with six plants. Uh, so I think even the cannabis, you know, get you high market is going to have a, a major correction. So I don't know if I would be going to either of those places. And it's the more something is illegal, the more quick money's in it, the more black market, gray yeah. market opportunity there is. Like. You know, here we have legal fireworks sales, but it's a very small number of people with a license to do it, and they can only sell, like, around New Year's and Fourth of July. Mm -hmm. Those guys should be, you would think they would be the number one advocates for opening that market up. Nope. Uh-uh. Uh, they love it. They make all their money working three weeks a year, and they have no competition hardly. Yep. They don't the want same it to here. change. It's the they same here. Do not want that to change. You know, no way they want that to change. And I think that, like, so those markets might have a little bit more left in them because of that. But that's gonna that's gonna favor big corporations. I don't think that's the side hustle business that you want no. to be going into right now. But there is a huge trend towards ultra, like ultra premium slash handmade things. Yes, and yes. that's where if you're in CBD and you do that. There you you may actually rise to the top. There you go. In your, it's your niche. Absolutely, and I, I don't think I think that applies to everything, because yeah. that's where the Chicom company on Amazon can't compete. So, like, I'm not going to go into the business of making Spearco's battery backups for cell phones, because mm -hmm. Anchor will beat my brains in, and I'm going to have to go to their them and private label it anyway. Like, I'm True. not going to start making freaking cell phone batteries in my house. Right, I don't know, I go down the road and some child slave labor in here. You know, no, it's not going to work. 
But, you know, if you look at something like knives, like, you're not going to have Cold Steel compete with Patrick Rorman. They're no. totally different word, worlds. You know, you, you want a Cold Steel knife, what do you want? They'll sub it to you. It'll be here tomorrow, from a cheap to expensive. Doesn't matter. But, you know, you want Patrick Rorman to make you a knife. You might wait a year. But people do it. Yeah. Because it's truly unique. It's truly one of a kind. So I think, like, to me, that, that that's more of a mega trend instead of, like, this narrow vertical, like, CBD or knife making. The mega trend that you're identifying there is custom or high-end, unique, specific, and you know what you and I are big on. There should be a story with it. Absolutely. Right? Like, if like I get a really beautiful knife. There's a place called House of Blades down here. They sell tons of, you know, custom, semi-custom knives and whatever, and they're sitting on shelves. There is no story that goes with those knives. There's there's, oh. there, there's no story to me. Like if I go down there and buy, and somebody sees that's a really nice knife. Yeah, I got a house of blades. That's that's, that's a it. boring story, right? Yeah. People have been asking me about the bird and trout that I had Patrick make me. That has a story. That has a story. Well, I know this guy is a custom knife maker. I helped him get his business off the ground. I wanted a knife. He didn't have that pattern. And I leaned on him and got him to make me one. He made a few more. There's like five of them in the world right now. Yeah. You know, it's made out of Honduran rosewood. That's the same. It's from the same wood that I have from my kitchen knives that he made. Like all of a sudden, like somebody's like, who is this guy? Yeah. Well, how do I find well, how him? How do I get a hold of Patrick? You know, well, he's got some, you know, off the shelf knives that are pretty good for about 160 bucks. Well, that knife just became worth 160 bucks. And the guy said, and all of a sudden he's going empty knives.net. He's buying a knife because mm -hmm. it has, if it doesn't have a story, It's not what you're talking about. So if it doesn't have a story, you better come up with one. Absolutely. You know? That's, I mean, that's the biggest error I see. People are building beautiful websites and putting their product on it. They don't and then story. wondering why there's no business. And that actually, that's my other idea, is in the World Wide Web, what I see as an up-and-coming successful model. People call it, I need SEO advice or services. Yeah. What they really need is a commission-based relationship where traffic is driven and conversions are made. And I, I see people starting to offer that instead of a subscription-based SEO service. It's like customized affiliate marketing. Yeah. Right? Instead of selling stuff on TeachPass through Amazon, you get a guy like me who, instead of making a show every day, gets 10 clients and dedicates my marketing genius mm -hmm. to selling their shit on a... Some sort of a commission ROI. See, my thing with that is that has to be done at a much more integrated level because the reason I'm going to make your stuff sell isn't really because I can drive traffic. Right. It's because I can make the traffic convert. Mm -hmm. So that means all the traffic that comes to your site, I have to have a piece of if I was going to work on that kind of a, a deal. Right. I have That's to have everything, not just look, here's your special cloaked link to sit. No, bullshit. Because I can send you tons of traffic. And none of it will convert. You can send me crap. Like it's it's almost like, you know, a really good poker player can make a not so good hand a winning hand. If you're really good with crafting a story and developing product sales funnels, etc., you can take traffic that's considered low quality traffic and you can make it convert because, unless it's fake traffic, there's still a person. There's still a person on on the other side. And you now have their eyeballs on what you're offering them. So that's like when, I, when you were you know, getting hollow roast off the ground. Like, in, unless people know yeah. 
what you do, you're just a coffee. Like when you came here and you told the story of how like you get all these bags from all over the world, you go through them and you sample them and you try different roasts and you say, okay, like this is going to be, this is going to be our house roast for the year. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh dear God, you need to tell people that. Cause I, let me get rid of this spam risk. Why is it coming through? Decline. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, does that uh, mean we're taking a break? No, that, what, what, what it is is uh, my my phone is too close to my MacBook, and somebody called my phone, and it rings through my MacBook. So. Oh, no. Anyway, so, like, like you got to tell people the story. People have to understand that. And the reason you tell that story is not just because it sells the product to them. It sells them on being a customer because they want to go run their mouth about it to their friends. Yeah. Right, they want you, you had like in your presentation at a workshop this this chick and she's socially responsible. I'm like, no, she's not socially responsible. You're your model customer. No, right, right. She's somebody that wants other people to see her as socially right. responsible. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that, and that's your best customer. You want a customer yeah. that's like, hey, look, I got this coffee from this girl in in in, in Tennessee, and she does all this stuff, and here, blah, blah and yeah. And, and because then it's like, oh wow, well, I want and that it's too. It's organic. I want that too. Well, yeah. You can go to hollerose.com and you can get that, right? And all of a sudden, like, this is something you can't get anywhere else. And that is the only way the small person is going to differentiate today. Your product in some way has to be something they can't get anywhere else. And here's the thing. You can get really good air-roasted coffee from a lot of different people. You can It's only true. get holler roast at the holler. You can only get the coffee that's roasted in the little camper, by the awesome Nicole sauce, at one place. Unless that story goes with it, no matter how good it is, it can even be the best. In the consumer's mind, it's just another place to get expensive coffee. Right. But when you marry the story to it, and you do it right, you get actual marketing. Because people think what they say is marketing, that's the root of your marketing. Your real marketing is what your customers say. Right. That is everything, because now if every customer I get can get me at least one more customer, I have an almost unlimited marketing budget if I can actually create that dynamic, mm -hmm. especially if you have a consumable product. Right. Like yeah, Patrick's, problem, project, Patrick's problem is how many more knives do you think he's going to sell me? Like if I took all my knives and put them on me right now, I wouldn't be able to move. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they don't wear out. They're a lifetime product. Like, if you want to be in a, a business that's a product business, I would say no matter what you're in, you want to be in a recurring consumable product. A podcast is a recurring consumable. Yes. It doesn't cost anything for your customer to buy a podcast from you, but it gives you the opportunity to sell to them. And it's a consumable. They show up every day, and it's like drinking a cup of coffee. You consume it. It's gone. Now you need another one. Come back tomorrow. Yeah. And that's your that's your mega trend niche. Custom, unique, and consumable in some form. Something that makes because what is it easier to do? Get a customer or sell to a customer you already have? Sell to a customer I already have. It's like you know, like gee, they mainly should be teaching that in high school. Yeah, they should. Well there's <laughs> that book your friend wrote, Michael Case. Yeah. That's a good book. Yeah. I forget I can never remember the name of his book, but Gee, I can't remember it either now you said that. It's, yeah. on, it's on loyalty. He was yeah. he is probably the best designer of a loyalty program in the world. 
He mm-hmm. built a, lo- lo- a loyalty customer loyalty program for a local phone service company, and it worked. <laughs> That's why I went to work right? there. When, when I talked to him and I found out what he did, and I was like, really? Does it work? He's like, oh, it works great. He starts showing me numbers. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm taking this job. He's like, well, I haven't offered it to you yet. I'm like, oh, you're going to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you got hired. Yeah, yeah, you're going to. I, <laughs> Yeah, but now I'm interested. Now I want to learn from you, you know. And that's that is his entire premise that like getting a customer is so hard, we need to keep them. So now you've got so that's that's your full picture. Yeah. Now you've got acquire, grow through your own word of mouth market that you build, cultivate and keep the customer. You don't want to lose that person you work so hard for. You know, you might need three orders from that person before you're actually making money off them if you have a significant expense at acquiring them. Mm-hmm. So that means you need four, minimum. And if you get four orders from a customer and don't get a fifth, you did something wrong. Right. You did something wrong. There's no other reason you've lost. You, you've done something wrong. All right, well, that's a lot of random crap. It is. It's funny. We didn't give a lot of uh, business ideas, but... I think the philosophy of finding your niche is more important anyway than the top upcoming thing for 2020. Yeah, absolutely. I, well, I think you know, like your top trending item or thing is going to be a market that's very difficult to compete in. Extremely yep. difficult to compete in. Anyway, Nicole, I appreciate you, you hanging out with uh, me today for about an hour and a half and, and having our circle of random crap discussion. I, I think we should make this a regular thing. Yeah, I think maybe like once a month or something, we'll have the random crap discussion of the month. And we do the same way. We'll go on Facebook and let people tell us what they want to hear. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Maybe I'll give them more than like 30 minutes to come up with it, though, like do it a day in advance or something. Yeah. Oh, there's a great idea. Well, anyway, I know you got uh, you got coffee to roast, I guess. Yeah, well, actually, I have 90 tiny little custom-branded bags to pack. That sounds awful. That the post office lost, so we're repacking them for a customer, but... Oh. It's fine. Uh, I, I bought enough extra that I, I can do this. So I was really thankful right. I had done that. <laughs> okay, so tip of the day when you ship stuff, put insurance on it. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I am I am going to get paid for it. Okay, it, cool. It, yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, with that, Nicole, thanks for being with me today. Thanks for having me on, Jack. All right, that's a wrap. I'm going to figure out what the hell I'm going to do. That's a terrible. That song's terrible. It is. It's awful. I wonder if there's a better recording of it somewhere, but yeah. I don't know. It's You could record it better, and it's still going to suck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, I, I don't know. I'll figure something out. All right. Okay. All right, I'll well, thanks for go. having me on. Yeah, I'll, we'll, this will be up in about an hour, I would guess. Okay. Cool. Right. Take right, care. Bye. bye. So enjoyed having Nicole on today. It was uh, great fun, and I, I do think it might be a good idea, maybe once a month or even every other month, to have a... Random circle of crap discussion, Nicole and I enjoyed it. Anyway, remember, if you want to support this show, one of the ways you can do that is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. Uh, again, when we had the discussion about prepper gifts, I have all of the stuff that I mentioned and a few other things in today's show notes. And uh, our item of the day today is the Nebo Larry uh, work light. It's a great little light. It sells for 9 bucks. There's a write-up uh, available to you on the site today. And uh, it's just really worth checking out. Again, they're 9 bucks, so it's, it's not expensive. But the, the biggest thing that I'll say about it is it really is a work light because it's bright as hell and it disperses that light the way that a work light's supposed to. 
So think back to when you were a kid. Remember when you were a kid and your dad was working on something in the car and you had to hold the light and he kept yelling at you, he was doing it wrong because the light was into a small area of focus and you know he can't see behind the nut and you're always getting yelled at. You weren't wrong. Your dad wasn't wrong. Your dad just had the wrong tool for the job. You want a work light for that situation. These little work lights are awesome. Um, they'll fit in a shirt pocket, but they'll light up the entire under, you know, under hood area of a car or anything else that you need to work on. And again, they're nine bucks. It'd be a great prepper gift, by the way, as well. But no matter what you're doing, if you do your online shopping at T-SPAS, you help support the show and the work that we do. That brings us to our song of the day. Um, song of the day today was supposed to be, um, Galveston by Glenn Campbell. And every once in a while, John Adam will cue up a song, and I'm just not feeling it, and I'm not feeling that song. I just don't like it. I just don't think it's a good song. It's an interesting story. The story in it is of a soldier from the Spanish-American War uh, with a woman he left behind and, and hoping he gets back to her. Um, but the song just isn't that good. But it, it makes a play at being an anti-war song. came out in 1969, and I thought we are going to do an anti-war song. Let's do, let's do something that's a, a little bit more direct. So... The song that I decided to run for you guys today, I actually have played before, um, and it's by one of my favorite singer-songwriters, Jackson Brown. It's called Lives in the Balance. And this is about what was going on in Central America in the early 80s. There's an interesting thing. It could have been, this song could have been in the late 60s, early 70s about Vietnam. This song could have been in the 90s. And this song still fits right now in what's going on. Um, we talked about not giving an F too much about politics, but the one place that I do care, even when I can't do anything about it, is the, is the, the war machine. And if you want to be upset about something right now, don't worry about who's president, don't worry about who's going to get elected, don't worry about any of that. Worry about the fact that we just had a, a release of, of documents come out, they're calling them the Afghanistan Papers, that basically says we've wasted you know a trillion dollars and we've been lied to the entire way through the war. And, and, you know, the point of this song is that there, there are, the, the title is the point. There are lives in the balance. And a lot of times in the anti-war movement, people think about those lives being the innocent people who end up dying in the crossfire of war. And those are very, very important lives in the balance. But we have a lot of people from this country that have been asked to fight these wars. Some of them have not come home alive. Some of them have not come home physically whole. A lot more of them have not come home mentally whole. A whole lot of them have ended up taking their own lives. There's some controversy over the 22-a-day number of uh, veteran suicides. What if it's five? It's too many. And it's, it's, it's attempting to deal with and process the things that they've seen and were part of that, that, that's doing this to them. And if we're going to ask men and women to risk their lives, to kill other men, to kill other women, to get shot at, to get injured, to be messed up mentally, we owe it to them that that sacrifice is worthy of being made. Not just that it's not in vain, that it's even worthy of being made in the first place. There's enough on the line that it's worth doing. And we've reached a point in this country now where we actually 
fail to accept what we would call in business a sunken cost. Well, we can't stop now. Doesn't matter how big a mistake it is. That is the most asinine thing in the world. My fear is that this song will never not be relevant to the time that it's listened to in. I think it's great that a song can always be relevant for the time it was written so that we can look back with historical context. But we talked about my predictions for 2020. I'll tell you what's not going to happen. This song's not going to be made not relevant to our current time in the next year, the next decade. But one of the things that government really does need the support of the people to do is to prosecute a war. Remove your support from a machine that is destroying lives around the world and destroying the lives of, of, of men and women that really believe in what they're doing, that do a hard job but are being misused and abused. And then when they're no longer useful to the machine, discarded like a Kleenex, there are lives in the balance indeed, all around, all around. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. I've been waiting for something to happen For a week or a month or a year With the blood and the ink of the headline And the sound of the crowd in my ear You might ask what it takes to remember When you know that you've seen it before Where a government lies to a people And a country is drifting to war There's a shadow on the faces of the men who sent the guns To the wars that are fought in places where their business interest runs On the radio talk shows and the TV You hear one thing again and again How the USA stands for freedom And we come to the aid of a friend But who are the ones that we call our friends? These governments killing their own Or the people who finally can't take anymore And they pick up a gun or a brick or a stone And there are lies in the balance Religion, 
same time they sell us our awards. I wanna know who the men in the shadows are. I wanna hear somebody asking them why. They can be counted on to tell us who our enemies are, but they're never the ones to fight or to die. And there are lights in the balance. There are people on the fire. 